This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 260. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Well, this week on the show, we're going to give you a little more coverage from Tales of the Cocktail 2018. And we're going to talk to two nice ladies who started a mezcal brand called Gem and Bolt. And then after that, we're going to head down to uh, an event I attended last night. It was a benefit for CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees, on the Lower East Side. And that was just last night. So that'll be coming up right after we talk to the nice ladies of Jim and Bolt Mescal, recorded in New Orleans in at during Tales of the Cocktail 2018. All right. So we're here. What's your name? Cafe Amelie. Cafe Amelie? Yes. All right. Is it Emily Amelie? Like the I like it better when you say it. You say it. Cafe Amelie. <laughs> All right. Well, I ask you each to uh, introduce yourselves, and uh, then we'll talk about your brand. Super. I'm Elliot. I'm Adrina. All right. And uh, you started a mezcal brand, which is amazing. How, how long has this been going on? Well, that's a complicated question because <laughs> we were bootlegging for a long while. Oh, so. so you want to admit that on my No, I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I, half of what I say is true. So. <laughs> A while back, in around 2015. Okay. Yeah. We've been legal in the States since the 2016. Uh-huh, exactly. There have been yeah. many chapters. Yes. But we started importing to the United States in 2016. It's about two and a half years. So what inspired you uh, to start a mezcal brand? <laughs> That's a, a big, juicy question. We decided to bring something into the world that would incorporate art and plant information and... A very long story brought us to Mezcal. You know, we distill with an herb called Damiana. So it's a bit more than just a Mezcal brand. That's unusual, right? For a Mezcal. Absolutely. Which part is unusual for... Well, it's unusual and it's not unusual. Actually, mm-hmm. what we came to find when we got to Oaxaca, um, you know, we, we started as artist collaborators and then slowly we migrated to Mexico and to Oaxaca and we had an artist residency that we had created in Tulum, Mexico and we had a speakeasy in Oakland and we were sort of all over the map doing various creative, creating, building creative ventures that ultimately were all connected on our big personal art map. Um, but when we finally got to Oaxaca to research mezcal and to understand where mezcal comes from and really understand the fabric behind it, we discovered that herbal infusions are as common as, well, they are in many parts of the world. You know, if you look traditionally, herbal infusions are quite common medicinal for medicinal purposes. You know, you've got an infusion for if you have a stomachache and you have an infusion if you have a fever and you have all of these various. So what we did is we kind of brought an innovation on a very traditional concept. We brought an innovation with the Damiana to a very traditional concept and brought it to the masses. So we're one of the first companies. We are the first company with uh, the first mezcal brand with Damiana. And we're one of the first uh, spirit brands or certainly mezcal brands that showcases an herbal infusion. But it actually is not a divergence from tradition, interestingly. So and it's called Damiana? Damiana. Damiana. And, yeah. what, and what, what else is it? It's, a, it's an herb? What else is it used for? And I, I know nothing about it. <laughs> we call it Damiana, Damiana, Damiana. We like to give it a little... Power punch. Yeah, exactly, so because it's a... So nice to name it three times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we give it a little punch, exactly. We're generous yeah. with our little toddlers. So we... Damiana is an incredible herb. We call it a super herb because it has myriad benefits and effects and wonderful properties that we love. Um, we call it a heart opener 
first and foremost because it sort of is an umbrella way of speaking to the herb's properties. Um, it is an organ tonic for the sexual organs, both male and female. It works wonderfully for both men and women. It also is an organ tonic overall. So it's sort of, if you look at it from a from sort of a chi perspective, it sort of opens up the chi between all of the organs. Everything starts communicating in it, and that translates in a very happy, heart-opening, connective way. Wow. Now I really can't wait to try it. It's, it's pretty <laughs> yummy. It's a pretty profound should experience. We try, should we try it? Yeah, we, we, we should definitely try it. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. I get the herbaceous, a, a little floral too. I think mm-hmm. maybe that's probably from the, since I know have no idea what this stuff tastes like. Damiana. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what it tastes like, but um, it's it's very floral, floral and vegetal, vegetable, which you'd expect in a mezcal. Mm-hmm. But uh, what's the ABV? Forty-four. Forty-four. Huh. Yeah. Doesn't taste it's, that hot. It's. Yeah, it seems, it tastes lower than it is. Mm-hmm. So, Damiana. Yeah. Yeah, the way that the agave and the Damiana mix together, it, it really softens and smooths out the product. And which mezcal are you using? Uh, which um, agave are you using? It's an Espadín, Joven. Okay. Mm-hmm. Young Espadín distilled with the Damiana. Super S- traditional production. So for anybody who doesn't know, can we, let's talk about how mezcal is made a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, mezcal is made in, we make ours in Oaxaca. Ellie, do you want to tell the, uh, sure. the story? Um, yeah, so our mezcal is made in very traditional, tradi- by traditional process, as traditional as it gets. Um, it is harvested, so we use espadín agave, which is, has about an eight-year maturation period for harvesting. We how, how big do they get when they're har- how big are they approximately Espadine when they're harvested? Gets quite big. I mean, yeah. they can be as tall as me, so I'm five nine, wow. and you know, <laughs> as as wide proportionally as you can sort of imagine. Wow. So what does um, that weigh? It must they be. can they weigh a lot. So yeah. I have seen they're deceptively heavy because they're dense. They're yeah. dense with a lot of water and sugar and fiber as yeah, well. Yeah. So I've seen four men struggle to pick up an agave heart once all of I'm the sure. leaves have been cut off of it. Yeah. They can be up to 200 kilos, so up to 400 pounds for a wow. single agave heart yeah. or gem. The gem of the plant yeah. is the part. The only that's the used. only ones I've ever seen in person are the blue Weber, and they're you know they're, they're much w- smaller, much smaller. They're but they're 100 pounds, but and, they're and still they're, yeah. dense and yeah, heavy. Yeah, so I can imagine that's going to weigh a lot if it gets that much bigger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you if you look at a lot of the wild wild varietals, they're much tinier and much lighter. Mm. So there's a huge variety. But espadine, so they're farm. Espadine's farmed. Espadine is the most cultivatable agave okay. that there is, in addition to blue, blue Weber, Weber. But of the agaves that are used to produce mezcal, um, espadine is the most cultivatable mm-hmm. yeah which is also and why we prioritize it at the moment because the, the sort of overforestation of the wild agaves is something that we're not entirely in support of right for the moment we're we're planting wild agaves and sort of and dancing in that realm ourselves but for the moment we're working with the cultivatable why, why is it agave. that certain species are so hard to to um, to plant or to uh, cultivate I think it's I mean, that's a question I'm not entirely <laughs> yeah. able to that's answer. A, that's in a the question right for way. a botanist. It's a, it's a question for a botanist <laughs> because it's a matter of evolution, right? So they haven't yeah. been cultivated. Right. They're starting to be cultivated now, so it's going to have to go through a pretty serious evolutionary process to get to a point where they can be viably cultivated mm. consistently and not be susceptible to certain things. And yeah, I think right. That's yeah, that's best. a part of it as too. Well right. as I can answer no, that question. That, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah that um, yeah, it's a matter of them fighting 
developing the natural um, what's the word I'm looking for defenses defenses, defenses. Yeah, exactly yeah yeah um, but and it's strengths and it's interesting but but as you alluded to it's a, there's a sustainability problem with with agave right right yeah. so we definitely prioritize the espadine at the moment which is you know we we can know that we can responsibly cultivate what we are um, we can responsibly harvest what we're cultivating right right at the moment so okay so our, then yeah. the, the agave is so uh, comes to maturity then what happens the agave comes to maturity <laughs> is harvested the what are called the pencas or the espadas basically the swords that the leaves that come off the agave are all cut off in the field and then the the gem is harvested it's brought back to the distillery the the gem the heart the piña they have various names of the plant which is the part that is used for production are brought to the distillery. They're halved or quartered, depending on the size, and they're put in a large earth pit oven. So sometimes these ovens are completely earth. It's just a huge crater that's that's um, dug into the earth. And sometimes they're stone lined, just depending on the preference of the producer and how much they produce every year and, you know, variables. So then a fire is sort of built over the layers of agave in sort of a complex but personal way each every producer has their nuances and their you know their ways that they build their fire and they layer it but it's basically layers of very hot rock and fire and peat and agave fiber from previous productions and then you layer in the the halved and quartered um, agave hearts and then you top it with more earth and tarps and various things and canvas, and you basically cook it for, you roast it in that earth pit oven for about 36 hours. It varies. 36? 36? Around 36, uh -huh. yeah. Um, one of the things that I find so interesting and beautiful about mezcal production is that it's very, it's not a science. It's, yeah. it, it's, uh, it's something that every producer has, it's become second nature. You know, our producer is fourth generation. Most of these producers have they've been, they've learned from their fathers and their grandfathers. So all of these things, like when the agave is sufficiently cooked, it's not on the clock. It's like they go in and they check it and they keep pulling pieces off and they taste it and they smell it. And it's all of these sort of natural, instinctive ways of measuring all of the moments. So from there, when it's when it's done roasting, then it's taken to the mill. And we mill also by, by traditional Tahona stone. So it's a massive round stone that's pulled around the mill uh, with a horse. I call our horse Damiana. <laughs> our beautiful horse Damiana. And she's, so she mills the, the roasted agave. And then the roasted agave is put into wooden vats. And that's where the fermentation takes place. The fermentation usually takes place, so again, we have no additives in our mezcal at all, no fermentation additives, no additives Na at all. It's natural yeast then? So it's natural yeast. Yeah. So what that means, again, is that it's not a science. It's a, it's just a matter of, you know, the weather is going to affect it, the humidity is going to affect it, whatever is going on, the season is going to infect it, the moon is going to affect it. All of these things are going to affect how long the fermentation process takes. Mm. It's, usually it's usually around seven or eight days. Mm. Again... They listen to it, they listen mm -hmm. to the bubbles, they smell it, they taste it, and there are all these ways that they determine when it's perfectly fermented to go to the distillation process. Um, and then it goes to the distillation process. We have various distillation processes that we have um, crafted in order to incorporate the, the Damiana and everything, but it's all completely traditional as well with, um, with a wood fire underneath the copper stills. Mm -hmm. And we have a twice distilled product, 
And that's basically, then you have the finished product. All right, that's beautiful. That's pretty much Yeah, yeah amazing. Well, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful it's process. It's really delicious. It's a really beautiful process, yeah. I love the sort of saline quality to it, you know, mm -hmm. which I guess is... I like that. I've never heard of that uh, description, but I love that. So are we supposed to have some oranges with it? Is that the idea? <laughs> oh, okay. But, but, <laughs> I didn't know if that was part of the tasting. Do. It's, it's yeah. an option, and these are also um, insect salts from Oaxaca that some people love and some people... We're quite purists ourselves, but this is very traditional Oaxaca as well. Did you say insect salt? Insect salt, yes. <laughs> Would you like to try them? These are fun. I guess I have to. They really are fun. <laughs> so this one, well, these are actually... I can't remember, but but I can tell actually. So this is sal de gusano. So gusano is a worm that actually grows that um, lives in the agave itself. Mm. So this worm is roasted in a pan and then ground up with the salt and the chili peppers, and super common in Oaxaca in all sorts of dishes. And it's often served with uh, mezcal. And then this is grasshopper salt, which is also the um, the chapulines they're called. Grasshoppers in Oaxaca are also very common. Mm. Ooh, insect. And it's good. delicious. <laughs> They're both salty and spicy and insecty. <laughs> but uh, the insects themselves aren't that salty, are they? Or the, or salt is added? To no, them? no. It's a salt that's made with the insects. Yeah, a flavored salt with insect. <laughs> I love. So I guess your background sounds pretty interesting. You you were artists together, or tell me what's that story? We actually grew up together. Our families lived together in the mountains of Virginia, very bohemian enclave of humans, and our fathers radicals. were very ra yeah, they were radicals. Well, they moved into Virginia to the in deep Appalachia, like yeah, they heard they of this. They basically created the oasis. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Our fathers were outlaws together. I've known Ellie since she was born. We come from a really unusual space and background, so yeah. And later. Later into the years of our adult world, we started making artwork together. And then we started Jim and Bolt. <laughs> Amazing. That's about a great story. Well, thanks so much for sharing this with me. It's delicious. And we'll say one more time, it's Jim and Bolt. And where, where, what's the distribution like? We're in New York, New Jersey, California, Texas, London, UK, actually, all of the UK. Where else am I missing? Colorado, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Mexico. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. much, that's Which distributor in New York do you, do you know? Empire. Yeah, we're Empire. Empire. Mm -hmm. Easy to get. Easy to get. Get some. We love get them. Some. <laughs> <laughs> Savor thank, it. Thank you, ladies. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to head down to the Lower East Side of Manhattan in just a moment for the core event last night, Children of Restaurant Employees, and uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. But uh, first, you know, we talk about sustainability every once in a while here on the show, and there's uh, they're trying to outlaw straws in, in California. I'm not sure what the status of that is right now, but everybody's uh, trying to reduce the usage of straws and things. So uh, what I've been doing lately, and I just wanted to pass this along, uh, if somebody orders a, a – well, what I've noticed is somebody orders a gin and tonic, say, They'll take that straw, stir it around a little bit to mix up their drink, and then throw the straw on the on the bar or on the table. So uh, I came up with this idea. I, I actually, if I'm making a gin and tonic or something, I'll uh, grab my bar spoon, give it a quick swirl, so the guests can see that I've done it, that I've mixed it already, and then I'll take a straw that's wrapped in paper and say, "Care for a straw?" and maybe 
I don't know, more and more people are saying no. Uh, they, they, they'll skip the straw. But I think, you know, we, if we're going to ask our guests to not use a straw, we need to um, we need to stir that drink for them. So I uh, just wanted to pass that along. I think it's, uh, it's working out well for me, and, and maybe it's something you want to consider, too. All right, let's head down to 9th Street and Avenue C in, on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Right. Hey, you're not going to get too much interference. That's awesome. It's going to be loud. Just put the mic pretty close to your face like that. All right. And, uh, yeah, just even closer like that. All right. Cool. All right. So we're here at, what's the name of this bar again? Mace. Mace. Mace Cocktail Bar. Very cool place. And it's a core event, right? Uh, yeah. So it is an event that we are um, throwing, me and uh, some of my colleagues, to benefit core. Um and we just chose Core, or me personally, I'm sort of the, uh, the host behind the event here. Um, we chose Core just because it's a really amazing program. I grew up personally, I remember my mom working in bars and restaurants before she got back to college. So, you know, when I was growing up, it would have been really awesome to have a charity uh, that focused on helping families in the service industry. Yeah. Um, so we got a lot of resources for health insurance or childcare. Uh, so yeah, it's just something that strikes home for sure. Yeah, yeah. So what CORE does, you want to explain what CORE does for anybody who doesn't know? Yeah, so uh, CORE, it's an acronym for Children of Restaurant Employees. And uh, they're essentially a charity, a nonprofit that focuses on providing financial support for families that make a living in the service industry that are experiencing financial hardship. And a they, lot of times... They actually helped me out with something. So, was, yeah, absolutely. I know all about them, you know. Cool. And so Lauren Laviola... She invited me to this event and hooked me up with you, and uh, so here we are. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, and so we're having a Mr. lot of Dub fun Mr. Doug Brickle so is here, going to be behind the bar soon. I right, can't wait for it. Great to have you on the show, my friend. We've known each other a while now, but... Uh, Thanks for letting me do it. Yeah. So what what, do you, what are we mixing up tonight? Well, we have some fantastic sponsors on deck. Uh, we brought in Chartreuse, yeah. brought in Novo Fogo Cachaca. Yeah. Uh, Pierre Ferrand was able to help us out with their 1840 Cognac, as well as the Plantation Pineapple Rum out of their portfolio. Uh, the last sponsor we have on was Aviation Gin. I see a lot yeah. of Fernet Bronco stuff on the menu. <laughs> we do love our Fernet, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, uh, I mixed up a couple drinks with uh, Chartreuse tonight. A couple drinks, a couple Boilermakers. Yeah. Real, real exciting, doing a lot of pairing of these spirits with uh, different beers. I had a great drink. It was uh, Novo, Fo- Novo Foco, uh, grapefruit, and a black tea. It was delicious. Yeah, Miss Dorothy Elizabeth really wrote that. Good. It's fantastic. Really good drink. And I think uh, now now we're doing Boilermakers, so that's that's cool. Can't go wrong. Great, man. Which one did you get? Is that the one with the chartreuse? Well, I thought it was the one with pineapple plantation rum, but it's definitely chartreuse. Oh, <laughs> I think there might have been a little little mix-up here because I, I got the I got the cider. But this is definitely chartreuse in this glass here. That's cool. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong with that. So, so you organize this? You have a you have a new company that's doing events and stuff, or what's the story with that? Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call it a company just yet. It's more of a concept that um, I'm sort of using to boost events. But essentially, it's an artist network that I started um, with some colleagues of mine, and uh, I think of it sort of as like a power strip when I build events that uh, a lot of different entities can plug into and kind of, you know, see some some benefit. So, you know, right now I've pulled in some of my favorite bartenders from New York City to come and help yes, out sir. and they get to shine and visit a new bar. 
Mace gets to see some uh, of the uh, other colleagues we have in town for bar methods. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of draw here. Obviously, Core gets some benefit, and then some of the uh, art from local artists I work with in my hometown that's sort of bar and beverage centric I've brought through. We'll have some cool prints and stuff like that for anybody What's who's interested. Hometown? Uh, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Wow. Not a huge market, but uh, if you smoke camel cigarettes, that's where all of the tobacco is grown. Uh, <laughs> oh, the Reynolds okay. family lives out there, so <laughs> it's a little bit about that place. But other than that, um, yeah, man, it's uh, it's something, it's called TGF Entertainment, the company you asked me about. Uh, just getting the ball rolling on it, and it's really just another platform to bring people together, uh, cool. particularly bartenders who like throwing parties and raising money for, uh, you know, a cause that we believe in. Awesome. So who else do we have behind the bar tonight? So you've got Dallas Smith, who uh, has been our contact here in Manhattan uh, while we've been planning this whole thing. She works at Boilermaker, so she is within the company. Um, and then you've got Luis Hernandez, who is actually working on a new project right now that uh, I don't have the liberty to talk much about, but <laughs> he's a fantastic bartender, yeah. uh, competitor um, for Most Imaginative Bartender yeah, uh, for yeah. Bombay Sapphire last year. Um, he's a yeah, head, former head bartender at Seamstress. He's a fantastic guy. Uh, and then we have Dorothy Elizabeth, who uh, whipped up that uh, black tea and grapefruit cachaca yeah, drink that you like so much. And she actually, uh, the name of her spot escapes me. She just opened it up in Chinatown. Um, but yeah, she was a Detroit Eater uh, Young Gun in, in 2017, or I think it was a Rising Star or Young Gun in 2017, but she's got some really good accolades under her belt. We're really stoked to have her here. And obviously you've got Mr. Doug Brickle. Yes, sir. The unofficial king of Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> king of Long Island. And back to myself um, from a much smaller market, so it's a really amazing experience for me to come out here and... Uh, see what uh, some of the uh, the big dogs are doing, I guess, you know? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it was a fun event and uh, well attended, and uh, congratulations, bar. man, for putting on a cool event. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Cheers, brother. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate you. That was a fun evening. After that, we headed down to another bar called Subject, also on the Lower East Side, and uh, that was a squirrel reunion. If you know anything about Camp Runamuck, the uh, campers are called squirrels, and if you don't know anything about Camp Runamuck, look it up because it's pretty amazing I haven't had the chance to go yet I was accepted to go last year but I just couldn't work it out so hopefully I'll make it to, to it one of these days but uh, look it up Camp Runamuck and uh, you might be in for a special few days if you if you get accepted to that program great program so uh, anyway good friends uh, uh, Nate Brown was behind the bar and Megan Frazier and it was uh, just a lot of fun so it was quite an evening anyway that's another episode of Bartender Journey for you and my name is Brian Vincent Weber thanks for listening I hope you're subscribed so you get the new shows just as soon as they become available it downloads to your phone automatically for free what's better than that just uh, subscribe to Bartender Journey wherever you get your podcast and you'll get the new shows uh, whenever they come out so thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the bartender journey podcast cheers yeah.